This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida, God's Country, in Melon Law Studio, protected by Crime Prevention 24-7. Unfortunately, we're not able to keep YouTube away from us. As you know, YouTube found us. We were uh, not in keeping with their community standards, which means we must be doing something right. So go over and follow us on Rumble if you care to do that. That's a very nice uh, thing of gesture of yours. More of you are. And, of course, we're out on so many platforms. You can catch us all kinds of ways, 24-7, 365. And um, we are, of course, protected by crime prevention. As I say, great sponsors, Shoot GTR here, Style Cuts. Uh, if you want a safe place to practice, go to Shoot, uh, go to shoot GTR, Gainesville Target Range. I don't think Gainesville Target Range would be allowed in this city nowadays for all sorts of woke reasons. Well, you got the thing under um, grandfathered in, grandmothered in, I don't want to, grandpersoned in. <laughs> and um, you can go there and practice the long rifles, the shotguns, the pistols, participate in sporting competitions, and also be under the watchful eye of video cameras in case you don't know range protocol and you should dare to pick up a weapon while someone's downrange. That will get you thrown out of the shoot GTR target range pretty summarily. Uh, of course, Wednesday is our ever-popular day with Ted Yoho, who um, a term limited himself. And um, uh, we, we still are bewildered by that. I mean, why would, uh, you know, <laughs> it, anyway, here we are. We're the benefactors of all that. And we got a great show lined up for you. Um, uh, we um, have been, of course, as you know, uh, following certain themes throughout the show. We don't make the news. We kind of follow the news and we look for the patterns and then we try to discern some sort of uh, uh, continuity or connectivity among and between those individual parts. And that's kind of how I put the show together. Of course, Ted comes with another perspective, spending a lot of time in D.C. and knowing his way around there pretty well. We don't know whether that's good for him and bad for him, but he can't get it out of his system, apparently. So <laughs> welcome to the show, Ted. Um, Thank you. I'm you and I were be- talking. Yeah, yeah. You and I were talking. Go, keep going back up there. Yeah, you and I, well, you got to, uh, you you and I were talking just a few moments before we went on the air about a fascinating subject that uh, we're going to clue you, the listeners uh, and viewers into now, and that is uh, Ted has been there uh, and has been uh, in the company uh, in meetings there of people from other countries who are taking a look at us. And I got to tell you, Ted, I have been drawing back from what we do every day and trying to look and see if I, you know, can get a touch for where we are. And more and more, I feel like America's under attack. It's not under attack by missiles and bombs. It's under attack by allowing it to die of its own silliness, if you will. And others are watching it and say, my golly, here's supposedly the greatest country on earth. 
and they're wrapped up in these things. I mean, exactly. now is the time for us to sit and watch and let them implode. How did you hear this story? Anything like what I just conjectured here on uh, your last visit to DC? Yeah, sure. Um, um, it is amazing because I met with two Asian countries last week, uh, one being Japan, one being Mongolia. And, you know, there are dignitaries and leaders in there from uh, the different countries. And, you know, I think if you look at Japan, it's, it, 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 it illustrates where the sentiment of America is. Japan has been a peaceful nation. They've been a pacifist nation since the conclusion of World War II. There were treaties signed and they agreed to dismantle their military um, manufacturing ca capabilities. And it was strictly to be offensive, I mean, defensive only. Well, here we are 70 plus years after the end of World War II. And um, um, what we see now is they've changed their legislation to where they're going from less than 1% of their budget going into military. They're ramping up to 2%. And there's three major causes of that. One is what North Korea is doing. They're shooting missiles over Japan. They're doing, uh, there's excursions coming in from China and Russia in the uh, airspace of Japan. And the third thing is the aggressiveness of China. And so when they see all these things, so those are the three, three entities that are outside of America. The fourth and the largest one is the, the lack of confidence that America will be there to defend them as per the treaty, that we would be their ally and we would defend them. And so this was a large part of the talk. Of course, they don't want to bash America, but they know, especially with this leadership, and it probably started under the Clintons and then Obama, and Bush was distracted, um, wrongly so, in Afghanistan and Iraq. And then with this president in the White House now, you know, it just depends on what day the wind's blowing and, you know, they don't have confidence in them. And so they are ramping up their military to be uh, counter-strike and uh, first-strike capabilities. Think of that, first-strike capabilities. So it's going from a passive military to counter-strike in case they get attacked, they can attack back. But they're also progressing to first-strike capabilities if they think there's an imminent threat. And we're, we've, we're losing the peace dividend of, of, of World War II, where we emerged as the superpower after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And this is something that should concern everybody, because as you brought up, we're not focusing on the major things. I mean, you sent me that article about Kamal or um, Susan Rice. They're opening up a new committee, and it's the Committee on Equity. Um, you know, you look at America today in 2023. And you and I are old enough to remember prior to integration in this country, the ugliness of the riots and those things. And I was involved in those in high school and how America emerged a better, stronger, more united nation. Now, this country today with this administration, and I fault Obama for this because he, he was the one that said, we have to get rid of affirmative action. Him and Eric Holder, I remember having those, those have, them having those conversations, said that they, they weren't effective. And so we've moved from affirmative action into this whole thing about America's a racist country, systemic racist. Um, we have to have equity. We have to have all these things. And um, it, it's ludicrous. And uh, it's an agenda 
to bring down America so that we're no longer the world leader. And uh, I think it plays right into the hand of the world elites, you know, your um, world economic forum. And I hate to keep hitting on that, but that's exactly what I see and the people I talk to see that's going on in America. In the meantime, Congress will have another hearing. You know, we'll have another hearing on Hunter laptops. Is it really Hunter lap Hunter's laptop or was it put in there illegally? You know, they're going to focus on that. And I'm not saying that's not important, but in today's world, and I sent you that article about the RSC, um, where the uh, Republican Study Committee, and how much money, and I think this will floor people, your listeners, when they hear this, under the Biden administration, the two, two and a half years almost that they've been in office, they have spent an additional $10 trillion. Think of that. Ten trillion dollars. Um, when I went into office in 2013, this whole country was in debt of about 13 and a half to 14 trillion. In two years, the Biden administration has passed 10 trillion dollars in spending. Yes, there's an excellent uh, analysis that backs up what we're talking about here that I just printed out today. Uh, I think it's in the journal today. I'll go, I don't know whether I sent it to you. I can't remember or not. Let's kind of follow up on what you're saying here. Um, this uh, article is, yes, uh, 22nd. That's today. And it's written by, um, well, it's written by the William Galson, who writes as a, uh, as a column. But he points out exactly what we're talking about. It's not the debt. It's the spending, the unmitigated, undisciplined uh, spending that is causing us. And part of this took place, did it not, during COVID. We opened up the spigots, you know, and had all kinds of unintended consequences from that. Uh, shut down the work ethic, uh, took um, kids out of school, all that sort of thing. And uh, yet here we are. We haven't disciplined or drawn back from that spending spree. And I, you know, I, I, listen, as you know, we have been in quote unquote wars all my life. I tell you, Ted, and I, I was, yeah, yeah. you know, all my life. All right. My family was seriously affected in ways. I'm just now beginning to realize at the end of my own approaching trail in ride, you know, um, how badly my father was affected by being in the Battle of Okinawa, which went on a week or so after the uh, European war was over. Right. Battle of Leyte, um, scheduled for the amphibious uh, assault on Japan. And should Truman have not have dropped the atomic bomb, which he said would have wiped us out, we couldn't have never invaded Japan successfully. But he didn't come home with post-traumatic stress syndrome. and He just came back and went to work. But my brother and I are now looking back at these battles and how ferocious they were, Ted, and how much blood we shed uh, to create a world uh, free from this type of uh, aggression that just wades in and takes over people. And now I'm looking at the other end. Pardon me if I'm taking too long to get to this point. But now I look at the oh, other sure. end of this. With the Ukraine, Ted. With the Ukraine. 
But right. we're just throwing money into it. I don't even think we've got the money, Ted. I just think we say we've got the money. Um, we can't. We may never get. It may be a 10-year war. I mean, come on. Well, if you have the printing presses, you never run out of money, but the money will run out of value, as they saw in uh, the Weimar Republic pre-World War II in Germany. And we're going down the same road. Now, look, think of this. We're on year two of the Ukrainian war between Russia and Ukraine. Where's NATO? I mean, NATO and some of the allies have stepped up. Some haven't. And uh, Biden is over there now um, uh, with the president and uh, Zelensky. And... And uh, you saw what Xi Jinping and uh, Putin, um, they met and they said to Biden, they said that he, he can F off. Um, you know, you know, they they have no respect for him, number one, which leads to less respect for America. Um, you know, we have got to change course in this country. We've got to or this country will cease to be a Republican. You know, and I get I when I ran and, and even today I get. Blame, not blame, but I get uh, uh, called out for saying I want to keep America back in the good old days, you know, the white patriarchy and, uh, you know, everybody, you know, all this suppression that went on. I said, no, I don't. I can't do that. And the face of America will change. It'll continually to change. And I have no desire to, nor can I prevent that change. You and I are going to be uh, part of the, the overall makeup, but we won't be the majority class anymore. And I'm okay with that. The things that should not change, the things that the listeners and all Americans that are true, you know, patriot Americans, the founding principles and our core values, those things are set in stone, not like the Ten Commandments, because those are by God, but the, the, the Constitution of the United States of America is the model. More countries in the world have went after to set up their governments than any other. It's not perfect because it was written by men, but I, I do believe there was divine intervention. But it's ruling of people, of government, by we the people. And um, I want to um, segue into that later on today, maybe, and talk more about um, a Republican form of government. What is that? And what are the rights of us, we the people? And how do we get that control back? Well, it's very difficult to do when your leaders don't tell you the truth and things are not transparent. And you have to understand their coded language that when they say up is up, they really mean down, so to speak. Uh, this has been going all through our acceptable narrative since I've been doing these shows. And Well, I, I think that's true for humankind. I mean, that's, that's the state of man. Um, you know, you can go back thousands of years and politicians will tell you what you want to hear for the most part. Statesmen, on the other hand, they're willing to risk everything. Think of the founders how they laid everything on the line. And most of them died broke. You know, a lot of those people were millionaires, uh, multimillionaires back then, but they laid everything down, including their, their sacred honor and their lives to form and to, to give us this opportunity, the government we, we have, and we have been squandering it away for, you know, for the last 20, 30, 40 years. And I know there's a lot of people that haven't, when they're out there working to uphold what this nation stands for. But um, too many people have become complacent or dependent on the government to challenge it because you don't want to bite the hand that feeds you. And that, um, you know, you talk to other people from other countries, they don't have this form of um, uh, social programs. 
people are expected to work. You know, you earn your sweat by, or you earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. And um, how we got away from that, how it became un-American um, to work and be self-sufficient, I don't know how that happened. Uh, you look at the silly wokeness going on. Uh, I, I, was, I think I shared, I don't know if I shared with you, I might have t- said this last week. It's riding with a cab driver from um, uh, Sierra Leone, uh, Uber driver. And uh, we passed him, a man, obviously a man, and he was in a woman's dress, had a shoulder purse on. I'm not sure if he had high heels or what, but he had like a crew cut. And he's walking in front of us, and the, and the Uber driver just, and I, we both, our eyes followed him. And I said, do you have that problem in, or that situation in Sierra Leone? He goes, no, not at all. He goes, men know their men and women know their women. He goes, only in America. <laughs> And, um, you know, we, we have to get back to some basics. You know, science, you know, we know what the X, XY and the XX chromosome, what they come out. Now, there are some aberrations in nature, and we'll accept those. But if, if, if people are walking around, think they're, think they're a different sex than what they are genetically, and, and you have government saying, yeah, you are, it's a lie. It well, is that's, the, that, 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 that's the kicker for me. I don't mind them walking around, but I mind yep. it becoming a priority of my government to uh, create policies and laws and regulations for it and dumb, dumb down the country to that conversation level. Because back to the original theme, we we're talking about the threat to America. The biggest threat I see to America is the de-emphasis of the value of meritocracy. Right. Um, we set up the place for better or worse, and it wasn't a perfect setup, of course, but it was pretty close because it had a brand new continent to work from um, and a lot of ideas that had been born out of Europe and a lot of trial and tribulation there by some of the brightest people that reflected back on it. And we valued um, the excellence of virtue of work and and uh, all that. And that has been completely flipped on its head. And uh, now we are replacing that with this idea. And this is my what I said on the show yesterday. It came to me, Ted. The school systems, rather than emphasize meritocracy, have begun, as you know, this to emphasize equity. Yeah. And I think I think I know why. Because it is. By emphasizing equity, you're able to sanction the critical race theory instruction, all the curriculum about the marginal characters we were just talking about, and you dumb the intellectual pursuits down to that level, and education, public education, you, you can stick a fork in. I mean, it's done, really. It's done. All right, and, so let me, let me ask yeah. you, where does that mandate or that direction come from? What organization would have our school systems doing that? Well, the NAACP primarily would be behind it. Black Lives Matter has been a big emphasis behind it. The New York Times, places like this, have jumped on the 1619 Project, uh, saying that the whole narrative was false in its uh, origination to begin with. Um, The complete, I I think it really begins, Ted, in the universities. Uh, where the open discussions and honest exchange of ideas no longer exist. 
I don't know if you know this or picked up on this, but today there's going to be a walkout by the Democrat students um, in uh, the state universities protesting DeSantis's attack, you know, on wokeness. Now, right. come on. Okay. I mean, are you serious? All right. A couple things on that. Uh, I think you're partially right on some of those organizations you're saying that has pushed this agenda. But I think the big one, the 800-pound gorilla in the room, is the National Educational Association, the Teachers Union. You know, they're the ones that are doing this, I think. And that's coming from they're getting mandates from somebody else in marching orders. And um, the wokeness, if you remember when um, Ben Sass was interviewing for president of the University of Florida, how there was this meltdown of the student population. So you saw that that big demonstration for a day or two, students yelling and screaming. He got put in office, and now it just kind of goes away. And, um, you know, people organize those kind of things, and they want to make more out of it than it is. But when it's all said and done, people will go back. And, um, you know, like <laughs> I grew up in the John Wayne <laughs> Era and his one of my favorite quotes is life's hard enough, but it's really hard <laughs> if <it's> stupid. <laughs> you know, don't make life complicated. Get your education. And going back to education, uh, there's a, a book I'm reading, just almost done with Frank Stronick's book. Frank Stronick's an Austrian immigrant that came over to this country in the 50s, a billionaire, one of the largest auto manufacturers in the world. And um, he says our universities in Europe. Canada or North America, Canada and U.S. have failed society and our students because they're not teaching the things that are going to make them productive and a better, stronger society, like trades, like how to build a business. They're teaching us the wokeism. They're teaching, they're, they're trying to. And again, we the people have to push back and it's hard. Um, it reminds me of what John John Kennedy said when we went to the moon. He goes, we don't do these things because they're easy. We do them because they're hard. But by doing hard stuff, you get great results. You know, you don't get anything in life for free unless you're a Democrat. <laughs> well, you know, you bring that up. It's interesting. You reference Kennedy because Kennedy did set a high standard, in my perception anyway, for quality of life in America and striving for America. He wasn't trying to revise them. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was around for that game pretty in my formative years in the university system. <clears throat> and uh, I don't remember him as being uh, as slamming America, you know. No. No. He didn't. How did – here's, a, here's a, a bigger question, I suppose. I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer you're going to provide. By the way, I, do, I did reference the education system, uh, just not the unions, but I, I did say the university classrooms. But how and when – you've been in the belly of the beast there. Did we go from the Kennedy Democrat Party to the one we got now? Lyndon Johnson. Uh, you think of Kennedy. Kennedy couldn't get elected today as a Democrat or a Republican, I don't think. You know, he passed, under his administration, they passed the largest tax cut in American history at the time. You know, he was the guy that said, ask not what your nation can do for you, but what can you do for your nation? Yes, yes. You know, I mean, and it's, it's 180 degrees. And if you understand the mindset of the Democrats, they want bigger, stronger government so that they can give more. And it's their programs to give you what you want, give people what they want to keep you where you're at. 
So you get more and more people dependent on the government. So the Democratic Party kind of switches. I mean, you look at where they are now and compare them to Kennedy. This is not a Democratic Party as we knew. It. It's a Marxist party, period. And I'll, I'll debate anybody on that. You know, when you start talking equity, you know, that's right out of Karl Marx's uh, manifesto on communism. You know, each gives according to their ability. Each receives according to their needs. That's equity. Who wants equity? If that's so, I want to get paid as much as Tiger Wood for playing golf, and I don't play golf. But I feel like a golfer today, so why can't I get the same amount of money as he does? Now, I just you know, want like, him to give us some of his money. Yeah, he just should yeah. give us some of his money. And Obama, you know, what's he got? The largest mansion up there and wherever he lives in Martha's Vineyard. Um, you know, he's got three mansions, I think, now. So I should have one of those. Why can't I have one of those? And I'm not denying him of having those. I think it's great he can have them. But they talk equity, but they don't mean it for themselves. They mean it for you should give up something. And well, you, know, I think you, put, you put your finger on a moment that, uh, of course, I remember everybody who was uh, around in my age knows exactly where he was when Kennedy was assassinated. Everybody, if I ever talked to, knows exactly what he or she <clears> was doing. Um, Kennedy had put Lyndon Johnson on the ticket to carry the South. Right. Um, and and he never in his wildest dreams imagined, I'm sure, that Lyndon Johnson would ever become the president. You know, he was sure. there to carry that Southern vote. And, it, you know, it's a very close election. Of course, his, Kennedy's dad helped swing it with Mayor Daley in Chicago. We know about that. Probably a oh, whole bunch of voters. In, uh, Pennsylvania and all that. A whole you bunch of voter beat going on there. <laughs> but but when Johnson got in there, he didn't have any of the characteristics of Kennedy. He had none of the charm. He had none of the charisma. He had none of the capturing of the imagination. And he created something that you, I think you put your finger on it, a war on poverty. Sure. What the heck did a war on poverty? One thing was a big misuse of language. You don't go to war on an abstraction. War, when you declare it, you eliminate with extreme prejudice. I mean, that's what you do, right? You kill them till they're dead, and then you kill them some more. But a war on poverty opened the spigots, did it not, Ted? Now, you're younger than I, but I was there right in the middle of this. Noticing. Well, you were you were, you were not yet. A, you, were, you were born, though, weren't you, sir? <laughs> 1955, double nickels. Okay, well, you did probably. I was, uh, you know, I was right there in college when all this happened. In fact, I was in Shakespeare's tragedies class when oh, it happened. Right. And Dr. Well, T. Walter, Dr. T. Walter Herbert, um, PhD from Princeton, was teaching the class when the word came. And uh, we had to, in Matherly Hall, a big kind of theater room. There's so many people taking the class. And we just, he just, we just stopped, stood up and went outside and just stared at the trees. I mean, it was just unheard of. Um, but then it went south. And then, of course, he mired us in the Vietnam War. I don't sure. think Kennedy would have got us stuck in that. You've been there. And I don't well, think he would have got, gotten us in that. There's a great book. It's called In War and Peace by Jean. I forget her name. Um, but it talks about how Eisenhower was trying to keep us out of that. But he got pulled into the Vietnam War by the the guise of preventing communism spread. 
And then, you know, Kennedy got elected and he took us into it more. And it was the French mainly because they didn't want to give up the colony in Vietnam that they had. And so we're on doing this at the behest of the French and uh, Great Britain. And they, uh, we, we didn't get involved in that war because of that reason. But then they switched the narrative, said, well, this is really about the spread of communism. And then Johnson was just a complete disaster in that. And Nixon wasn't any better. The only thing Nixon did good was to get it out, get us out of there. And, you know, war is, I don't, it's a waste of time in in the modern world because after you have a war, you know, if you look at World War I or World War II, uh, the Korean War, Vietnam War, uh, people don't realize this, but Japan is our second largest trading partner. I think Germany is about five. South Korea is number six. Vietnam is our 16th largest trading partner. And the thing we have in common with all those is we had wars with all of those. And a lot of people died. I think they estimate World War II had about 50 million people die. And uh, a lot of money uh, was spent. A lot of lives were lost. And so if we're going to go into a war in the future, we need to think about the past the amount of money and the amount of lives lost, which is the most important thing. And then we become trading partners. So let's just get rid of the conflict. Let's focus on trade. And uh, George Washington, 200 plus years ago, said entanglement with no countries, honest and open trade with all. And we've missed the mark on that. And uh, we have got to get people back to this. And, um, you know, and again, after the break, maybe um, I'd like to segue into if it's all right with you. How do we get out of this? Yeah, we also want to talk about the decision with the who. Uh, yeah. On, yeah, we want to talk about that because um, there is this group of people that you're familiar with that want us to be global yeah. and um, borderless. I think that has to be in the back of the mind of these people who don't want to enforce the immigration rules. Uh, they just want a nation without borders. Right. And, you know, uh, Davis Hansen says you can't have a nation unless you have borders. Um, That's one of the defining uh, characteristics of a nation, sovereign nation. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just an amazing set of circumstances that we talk about. And and uh, I like to think we make a little bit of a difference. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, every little note in the bottle helps. I mean, it really does. We've made significant strides here locally on voter beep. Uh, we've even gotten it all the way to the governor's office where we now have a election crimes uh, um, organization that is going to go after it, uh, you know, really earnestly. There's far more of it than people will ever, ever imagine. We know about so many examples of it. And you have to wonder what it, what is the flaw in this whole thing? You know, do the supervisors not care or is there no setup for them to enforce? Or uh, to me, it's always been the big thing about if, uh, if people want you to be able to vote if you can make a breath on a mirror. You know, and that's just yeah. really got to stop. Well, we're going to take a break here on the Ward Scott Files, come back with a little bit of report on the weather and continue our discussion with Ted Yo. I'm watching the chat line. If you have an issue you want to talk about, uh, we're going to be taking up the who when we get back, um, the World Health Organization. <laughs> that's not Robert Daltrey. Yeah, right. that's not the band, by the way. It's, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get back with you in a minute on the Ward Scott Files. Stay tuned. 
Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the This is Ward Scott. And I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show. Plantation Mark once again for our brand new microphone that is just state of the art. So thank you very much, Plantation Mark. Um, well, we got a schizophrenic weather report here. As I suggested yesterday we've got a major storm spreading snow and ice uh, in the uh, western side of the country for crying out loud, and we've got record challenging warmth here for our part of the country in the southeast, which I welcome because I think I'm getting grass growing now. Um, I've got a partially eaten roll of hay, which tells me they only interested uh, so far as there's nothing green for them to eat. And we're getting close to a 70 degree night and we're getting up into a mid 90 day. So uh, get in the water and take a few laps because it's going to be warm enough to do so for for too long. Uh, of course, uh, probably the biggest, uh, I want to call it a weather issue because it kind of is because it involves the water. It involves the air. 
all of that is this train wreck in Ohio, which uh, has been one of the most controversial um, things that's happened in terms of a little kind of uh, annoyance um, with it getting in the way of their agenda. And I'm talking about Biden. Uh, Biden goes to Ukraine and walks down the street in a battle-torn country, but he's got a, a, a absolutely ruined part of his own country, which nobody's even appeared at. So I have to report that as part of the weather because um, it is a difficult time of the year in the Midwest. I mean, it's snowy and no leaves on the trees. It's kind of gloomy to start with. I've lived there. And Miami, a valley in Ohio, all of Ohio is pretty much industrial. So it's not surprising that these things happen. And then there's a larger issue of neglect over the years of our rails, down which paradoxically we're carrying more and more material, much of which is toxic. So we spend 500, I lost fingers and toes, billion on Ukraine and nothing on our infrastructure, even though we pay lip service to it. So uh, there you go. We're talking with Ted Yoho now, and we're going to talk, I think we're going to talk a little bit now about um, um, the who, and not particularly the band. We piqued the interest of our production guys. Because, <clears throat> um, they, You know how it is with youngins. Um, they don't necessarily listen until something uh, is uh, related to music. So uh, <laughs> I'm kind of teasing, but uh, there is a band and all that business. But let's clear up for the young people what we're talking about. Uh, Ted, when we say the who? The World Health Organization. Um, and, and I appreciate you letting us uh, transition into this because, you know, if you look at our Constitution, it says, we are, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or the executive legis when the legislative cannot be convened against domestic violence. And and so a Republican form of government that every state in the union is guaranteed that. Um, the WHO, how that ties into that, Biden unilaterally is making an agreement with the WHO, um, the World Health Organization, which is primarily controlled by China. Um, uh, if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, um, the Secretary General Tedros, he sided with China, said the virus didn't come from China. It's not their fault and all that. And, you know, we know the truth now where it came from, where it originated. How it originated is still in debate, but I think the evidence is pointing that it was created in the lab, whether it was leaked or intentionally out. But the point is, Biden is turning over the sovereignty of the United States of America during the next pandemic, and there will be one, whether real or created, to the WHO that is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. We pay the majority of the funding for it. I think we pay 25 or 30 percent of it. Um, yet China is the one that is really the, the pushing behind the scenes. And uh, what that means to America is if the WHO determines there's another pandemic, this is what we must do. They'll say, you're going to have to um, uh, have lockdowns. You're going to have to have mandates. Look at what China did when they locked down those big cities. They had fences and food was delivered to them. Nobody could go out. You had mandatory vaccines for everybody. Um, you know, you look at the amount of lockdowns, the businesses that went out of business, things like that. 
Now, if Biden turned, which he he's going forward to do this, Michelle Bachman brought this to our attention probably September of last year. Um, think what that means to America. They'll say, well, the WHO is the one that's in charge of this, so we must do this. This is getting to a one world government, and it is not a Republican form of government. Uh, and I think this is something that sh- this is not hyperbole. This is not uh, conspiracy. This is actually happening by our president of the United States of America giving up our sovereignty. And, and keep in mind, who voted on that? I didn't vote on it. My representatives haven't voted on that. This was via an executive order and a, an idea or a, a policy that um, Biden wanted to do. And it's to me, it's treasonous. You know, it points ever more to um, the need to change leadership in the country or find, let's put it this way, find leadership in the country. Yeah, find leadership. Yeah. You know, I, and there's no end of dirty tricks, as you know. I, uh, let's take Nikki Haley, for example, who's being criticized for her brown skin um, by the women on The View or whatever it's called, and they're promoting her as a racist. This is a governor, if I don't Correct me if I'm wrong, who took down the Confederate flags in her state. Am I he right? Yes, yes. You're right, and I, I think that was a wrong move. Um, well, of course it know, was. Yeah. She she responded to mob rule instead of having that come up for a vote through the legislature, and I don't believe that came up for a vote. I think it was just the popular opinion of a small, boi- boisterous group. You know, let's turn to DeSantis for a moment because – um, he has said that the reason Putin felt empowered to do what he's doing in Ukraine was because of a weak Biden. And, you know, I got to thinking about that. I don't think if Reagan were around that Putin would ever have tried what he did with uh, Ukraine. I think Reagan, no, I- I'm speculating, there's no way to prove this. But, you know, Reagan... Mr. When I heard him say, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, I thought, my golly, I never thought I'd ever see that wall come down. I never thought I would either. And, uh, you know, it, it is amazing when you see what's going on. And I think Ron's partially right in that. But I think if you look from the Obama years forward, even the Clinton years, our foreign policy has been misdirected. I mean, you look at George Bush with Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, a, a not a good conclusion to the war, and we lost a lot of lives. And we kind of dropped the ball, especially in the Asia-Pacific area. And then, um, you know, Trump came in, and he, he was very strong in what he said, but he didn't have a, a very strong articulated foreign policy, although I do believe he would have shot down that Chinese spy balloon immediately. But that goes back to what I was saying in the beginning about why why is Japan – building up their military at this point in time. And, uh, you know, we see the aggression of China and North Korea, but it's also the lack of leadership of America. And a true leader would not do it alone in today's world. We have NATO for a reason. NATO should be motivated by the right leader, and it's not the person that's the director of it or the administrator of it, um, Hans Stolzberg. Um, again, um it should be a group of nations saying, hey, you've got this conflict that was unprovoked by Russia into Ukraine, and uh, they're using energy as a, polit- or as a military tool, really. 
And uh, this is something we need to stand up in unison and saying no and just really hit them hard financially by blocking as much trade. I don't believe in the sanction route because I think sanctions are going to come back to where it's going to push other countries that are not pro-Western democracies to switch over the uh, to the Chinese currency. And then we're going to see some big problems and challenges in this country. And so it comes, I think you're right, and I think Santos is right in saying that it's from a lack of leadership in the White House. And, and not just a lack of leadership, but a vision of where America is going 20, 30, 40, 100 years from now. You know, I reminded too, and I had a good fortune to, to meet her one time, quite by accident, and have a pretty good little talk with her for about two or three minutes. Just she and I, we were together on a steps outside of a historic home in South Carolina, and it was raining. Who was this? Margaret Thatcher. Oh, really? Yeah, and Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Iron Fist. Iron the Iron Lady. Lady. And let me tell you, <clears throat> that, she and Reagan made a formidable team now. You remember when she sailed the Navy down to the Falkland Islands and said, you're not messing with my people. And right. that woman, when I stood there with her and talked with her, because we're she was waiting for the rain to let up to be taken out to her car. And she had uh, stepped off, the, uh, come out of the building, and I was at the top step. And just have, I looked over, my God, I said, that's Margaret Thatcher. And it was just she and I there together. Wow. And, and Ted, she was just like your neighbor. Yeah. She was just as, as, as I don't want to say average, because she certainly wasn't average. Well, she was just okay. genuine. She was just, gen- well, my, I remember the first words out of her mouth were, why, my, it's raining. And I, you know, and, and I turned and, and looked. And I said, "My God, it's Margaret Thatcher." And I asked her if she enjoyed the tour, and we had a little small chat. And um, you know, that that lady, we don't have that person in the universe right now that I can find. Ted, we don't have anywhere anybody like that. Well, you know, it goes back to your word and what you mean, and you know, and you credit me a lot for stepping down, but. You know, a man or a woman's only good as, as their word and what they honor. And, you know, I try to always do it. I miss the mark occasionally. And, you know, that's uh, my fallacies. Um, but you got to have people that mean what they say and say what they mean. And there's very few people out there. But those are true leaders because uh, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan, there was no play. You look at the Cobar Towers that got blown up with the Marines. Um, and when that happened, Look at the response Reagan did. It was immediately and it was very succinct. And uh, we don't have that today. You've got Obama drawing red lines and not backing them up. And you've got uh, this guy in the White House now that, you know, he might not even remember what he says, but that's not the issue. Um, It's the projection of America's strength. And, you know, throughout history, you've got Theodore Roosevelt sailed the great white fleet around the world just to let people know what we had. It was a early version of a military parade, I guess, just to let your, your adversaries and allies know the size of your strength. And it coined the term walk softly, carry a big stick and walk softly. And, you know, Reagan's words of uh, peace through strength. We don't have that now. You know, we've got a failing military as far as recruitment. We're dropping behind as far as uh, development of, of weapons uh, there are some areas we do excel at, but we could do a lot better. And I think the biggest thing is just the misdirection of where this country stands 
and the emphasis on wokeism in the military and this whole thing with equity. I mean, uh, it, that's a scary article you sent me about um, uh, Susan Rice, who should not be in government. Um, but to her to be in charge, the czar of the new equity committee, they're going to stand up for yeah, every let's, branch of government. Let, let's, uh, let's clue the audience in on what we're talking about. Um, yeah, um, you this, need to post that one on your website. Yeah, you this is, um, let me go through this with them. Susan Rice has been, this is out of Breitbart. <laughs> Thank goodness for Breitbart. What a publication. You know, those have got, those are great writers. They, they, they published our investigation on fraud, you know. Um, and I've oh, got, oh, oh, yeah, and I've got the cell numbers of those writers for Breitbart. They know about the Ward Scott files. But Susan Rice, to your listeners and viewers, has been tapped to lead the Biden administration's new, quote unquote, White House Steering Committee on Equity. And here's what its mission is. It's to embed. Now, I don't like that word embed. Embed. Sounds like, sounds like a big tick stuck on a dog. Yeah. Embed a focus on embed a focus on equity into the fabric of federal policy making. That's all we need is one more embedded ideological distraction head. And so Biden issued on February 16th an executive order. Executive order. Furthering advancing racial equity. you know, uh, All right, and it goes on to say that such equity teams will be charged with the implementation of equity initiatives within their respective agencies and delivering equitable outcome for the American people. <laughs> Marxism, folks, it's Marxism. Vote these suckers out. And look at the money it's going to take. Initiatives include continued equity training, and here we go, equity leadership. Here in the city of Gainesville, um, nestled in by the Lake of the Stupids and commissioners populated by the genetic material of the UFO arrival in 1947, we have got a young man. I know the guy. He's just a kid who's making over $200,000 a year from the city of Gainesville, uh, uh, Ted, as the director of equity and inclusion in the city government. Are you kidding me? It cannot, you cannot be serious. Meanwhile, we've got teachers that are starving. They can't make a, and we're overburdening them with, uh, you know, all kinds of discipline problems. They don't have any ability to handle and still teach. Um, <laughs> oh boy. He has, trans- well, you know, in the stroke of a pen, Biden has yep, transformed the entire federal government into a diversity, equity, and inclusion cult. That's the that's the uh, interpretation of the Breitbart writer. Oh, God. Well, you think of that, a stroke of a pen. I mean, who's that remind you? Go back to Obama. I have a pen and a cell phone. I can do what I want. Um, but it says in here, create and implement an anti-racism plan using CMS disparity impact statement or other anti-racism planning tools. Now, if they're going to do that, the USDA under um, um, the, the, their secretary, Bilsack, Tom Bilsack, who is a he's a Marxist. He was governor of one of the states. Um, very, very progressive. He's the one that has approved forgiveness of minority loans 
in the USDA for more than they borrowed. So if somebody borrowed $100,000, they're going to do a forgiveness. And I, and I think they're going to give 25% over and above that back, but only if you're a minority. So isn't that racism? If I'm a white guy and I have a loan and I can't get that? Well, the language of this is um, is amazing. And, and, and it's... Uh... I doubt very many of our listeners even know about this. If we hadn't brought this up, I, this is not something you're going to see in the Gainesville sunset. Um, uh, I haven't seen it in, uh, in the channel surfing, which I do very little of, but I haven't seen, I don't go look at CNN and all that kind of stuff. I don't trust them. So, um, but here's the deal. All healthcare stakeholders, as if the health system is not in bad enough shape as it is, Ted, uh, to achieve health equity. Now, this is what's happened that is a charge to put this into the medical school training. Right. I guess you're aware of that. Oh, that they're doing it at the University of Florida. In fact, they're doing it at all major universities um, for med students. And I, I assume if it's med students, it's vet students, it's engineering students, it's, you know, whatever thing you're going into, it'll be in there. And it shouldn't be there. We're creating racism by these issues. Well, we're certainly creating division and keeping, you know, I'm, I'm back to what uh, uh, I believe it was Thomas Sowell said it, yeah. a great black thinker. If you want to stop uh, racism, stop talking about it. Morgan Freeman said that, too. Yeah, whoever. I'm not. You probably are right who said it. But if you want to just if you want to eliminate racism, stop talking about it. Well, and, yeah. Well, you were talking about John Kennedy and the policies he stood for. He could not get elected as a Democrat and probably couldn't as a Republican. But yet he was, I thought he was a good president on a lot of other things. And then you look at Martin Luther King. You know, I want my children to be judged on their character, not the color of their skin. The Democratic Party and well, the Marxist Party has moved so far away from that because they can't survive without division. And Martin Luther King would not have the impact today because he talked about fairness. He talked about you know, um, just the, the whole me his whole message of love and, you know, respecting people. And uh, that doesn't fit in the narrative today, because if you have that narrative, you can't fight against people, you know, um, and, and they have to have that conflict to survive. So um, I, I, one of the things I want to touch on, if I can, real quickly, you is how do we get away from this? You know, we can have conflict, we can have protests, which leads to riots, which, you know, for God forbid we ever get to a, um, a civil war again in this country. We, the people, have to stand up. We, the people, we can stand up by going to the voting booth, throwing these legislatures out that are there for a given period of time. They don't own that seat. And if they're not doing what we want, we want them out. But then I, I, I suggest a lawsuit. I, I know you can't sue the federal government, but can you sue a president or an administration? And I know you have a lot of lawyers out there. And if we just look at going back to what a meaning of a Republican form of government to prevent each state from uh, domestic violence or an invasion against invasion. And I look at our borders in the southern states and uh, are in the, not just the southwest, but it's in Florida. It's all along our northern borders. People are coming in here unchecked. That is an invasion of American sovereignty. And the other thing is, 
Biden via executive order binding this nation to the mandates and the dictates that come out of the World Health Organization that will take away our sovereignty. Those, to me, are, number one, they're treasonous, in my opinion. Number two, they should be taken to court. And I think we, the people, should do a joint lawsuit and say, we're suing you until you, and, you know, and I think we win on that, on some of those issues. Are you familiar with a CMS disparities impact statement that is referenced in this article, Ted? I have seen a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of people won't know what CMS is, and I don't remember the acronym, but that's the organ, the Committee for Medical Services, I think, something like that. But it's in charge of Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, uh-huh. And they're the ones that make the policies. Um, and, you know, I, le- I read a lot of articles, and these medical journals will say there's disparity in minorities on health care. Well, there may be, but why is that? You need to look at why. Is it maybe they don't go? I know some a lot of people of white uh, heritage that they just don't care about their health and they've never been to a doctor. Now they're having problems and they're like, well, you know, I just don't ever go to the doctor. Well, you're going to have health problems, you know. And so there's a disparity of uneducated or just people that are just ignorant, you know, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But you have to have that personal responsibility. And if you're, if you're attentive to your needs, I don't think there's any disparity. Uh, but the CMS and this whole thing with equity is a joke, I think. Well, with Ted, you know, we've got about two or three minutes left here. I'm looking at the chat line. Any conversations you want us to work in here, uh, we will do so. And we are uh, discussing issues that should help you think, at least, as you attend our class uh, on uh, how you want to proceed in the, your own research of our discussion. And we all offering this to you as uh, something you may take all of, none of, or some of, or part of. It's uh, that's uh, right. uncensored discussion here, except that, Get engaged. Uh, yeah, except that the social platform censors, but we don't censor ourselves. And we want to thank all of you supporters and donors and uh, for helping us produce this show. And we want to help uh, thank, we want to thank production. We have a new kid on the block here. You don't see him. We talk to him quite a bit. He's a great asset to our team. And this is all a team effort. I, and and, and Ted, is, you know, Ted is always here with us on Wednesday. It's a great uh, asset to have him uh, be able to talk with you all because he is, he is, uh, even though he may think he's disengaged, he's very much engaged uh, in what's going on in DC. I've picked that up already. <laughs> Even though he's in Wheelock or wherever he might be, or Vietnam or whatever, uh, in a uh, uh, some hotel room in South in the Caribbean somewhere, he still is he's still tied into us and still wanting to talk about these issues. Um, it's really an endless discussion here, and a lot of really dangerous things going on in this country. The I started off with the theme today of um, America uh, dissipating before our very eyes. Just it sure is winding down and you know we're witnessing, we're witnessing they, they smeared uh, extensively and relentlessly trump uh, they're warming up their smear jobs if they can get i think they see the sadness as their biggest threat so they're already beginning to try to undo him but you know that ain't going to be easy uh i learned yesterday he was the attorney for seal team six or something like that this guy right. is cold water in his bloodstream he ain't going to get rattled easily 
So, you know, that's the thing I can tell you about Ron is he's very focused and you're not going to throw him off. I mean, he's very focused on what he wants to accomplish. You brought up CMS before and it was the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I got you. Well, that would make sense. Well, we're out of time here, Ted. Thanks so much for stopping by. Look forward to seeing you next week. And and it's always a pleasure. And we'll have a whole lot of other things to talk with you about next week, audience. So take care. Ward Hall Command Center out.